Hi, welcome to Papa Reels. I'm your host, Nia, and today we'll be talking about 2020's Promising Young Woman, written and directed by Emerald Fennel. Stay tuned. Now, I would have had this episode posted sooner, but I live in the state of Texas and we went through a ridiculous winter storm and I did not have power in my house for almost three days. Um, I didn't have water for a day as well. Um, didn't have heat because our heater was broken. Um, so yeah, Posting a podcast was not on my mind, though this podcast is already done. Um, I just redid the intro that I'm doing right now. So yeah, uh, patience is great. Um, Texas is starting to get back to normal. Places are have are have electricity. People are getting water. There are water distribution centers. Um, but there are still some people that are in need. Uh, people that have their homes destroyed or apartments destroyed, their cars damaged due to property. So yeah, uh, we're. We're still uh, having some issues in Texas, but I did want to point out that I saw a lot of Texas spirit of friendship and neighborly love where I saw a lot of strangers helping each other, which is very important this time of need. And I want everybody to keep in mind that when Texas needed help, it wasn't the government that came to her aid. It was our neighbors, our friends and our family members. The plot summary for this film is a young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path. This is a part where I will give a spoiler alert because I'm definitely going to deep dive into this film. And if you have not seen Promising Young Woman, please give it a chance and watch it. It's still available in theaters currently. It's available uh, for video on demand via Prime, via Apple TV, wherever you get your movies at. I think this is a good film, not just for women, but also for men to see a way that women are thinking or what they're experiencing. I want to go ahead and jump into this cast list now with the actors that played in this film, the names that we'll know, and the characters that were more present uh, was Carrie, uh, was uh, Cassie, played by Carrie Mulligan, Ryan, played by Bo Burnham, Gail, played by Laverne Cox, Madison, played by Allison Brie, Jerry, played by Adam Brody, uh, Nina's mom, who was played by Molly Shannon, Dean Walker, played by Connie Britton, and uh, Susan, that was played by Jennifer Coolidge. We also had Christopher Mintz-Plass as Neil, uh, Clancy Brown as Stanley, the father, um, Sam Richardson played Paul, and Max Greenfield played Joe. According to IMDb, here is the synopsis, at least for the intro of the film. Cassie Thomas is a 30-year-old woman who lives in Ohio with her parents. Years earlier, she was in medical school. However, after her best friend Nina Fisher was raped by their classmate, Elle Monroe, and the school and legal system failed her, Nina and Cassie dropped out. It is implied that Nina eventually committed suicide. By night, Cassie now goes to clubs and, and feigns drunkenness to get a man to take her home. She waits for them to attempt to take advantage of her and then reveals her sobriety. And we see this in the trailer when Cassie is with uh, Christopher Mintz-Plasse's character. 
and he takes her home and he's seemingly being a nice guy and he's trying to take advantage of her sexually and she pops up and says what are you doing and when once his eyes meets his her eyes he realizes oh man this girl is not drunk she's a sound body and mind like what do i do like he has this deer caught in the headlights look and it's kind of creepy to to think that you know this person whom you think oh maybe this guy's like a nice guy you know and is trying to help me out and it's just like uh, here goes another guy just trying to essentially get lucky um and see what he can what he can get away with in my time of desperation or help and i do want to stress that yes i know that cassie is playing a role and she's acting drunk but in a real life situation what if the woman isn't drunk what if she got roofied and she lost her friends and her phone's gone it, would that excuse this behavior and in my opinion it would not and should not excuse the behavior of somebody, whether that person is inebriated of their own doing or by someone else's, this should not be happening. And it's sad that we have to have a movie like the movie like this to show to still show some men and women that things like this are not okay and that something needs to be done about it. Whether that's sitting young boys down and talking to them to let them know like this is not okay. What if that was your mother sister aunt cousin you know how would you feel um but i i do like that the movie is helping push that conversation and making people want to sit down and have that conversation especially those who say i didn't understand before viewing this film but after viewing this film and because it wasn't in a badgering way they're able to really receive the information now they understand at the coffee shop where she works, Cassie encounters a former classmate, Ryan Cooper, played by Bo Burnham. He asks her out and mentions during their first date that Al is getting married. And this is when Cassie begins to plan to get revenge on everyone she holds responsible for Nina's rape and eventually her death. And in the film, when he says, her, says Al's name, it says that she's frozen over. And she, I'm, I'm cl- clearly she hasn't heard this guy's name in a while. Maybe she put him in the back of her mind for a moment, but um, now he is back from overseas, and he just did. He just went to the university and gave a discussion, and he's about to get married. And I think for uh, Cassie, she just sits there and and thinks, you know, this guy after all that he's done to my friend not even to herself but to her friend and possibly to other women he still gets to have a normal regular life and the white picket fence and the lovely wife and the good job and it's just not fair to her and it's definitely understandable why when ryan says his name she's just teleported back in time of you know what he did and ultimately what leads her to do her her side gig at night so from Cassie hearing that Al's going to be getting married soon, this is what kicks her plan into motion. So first she starts with inviting Madison, played by Anna- Allison Bree. She invites her out to lunch with drinks. Before she arrives, Cassie orders a bottle of champagne and a can of ginger ale. When the waiter uh, offers to pour the 
the champagne she's like no i can handle it myself so she pours one glass of champagne and the other with ginger ale she gives madison the glass with champagne and she has ginger ale herself they sit and chat for hours and drinking bottle after bottle and madison's obviously obviously is getting drunk while cassie is thinking very clearly and level-headed and they're reminiscing about like what they've been up to since college ended and old times Cassie then asks Madison if she knows why she dropped out and asks if she remembers what happened and if she ever thinks about it. Madison looks a bit more serious and says that she vaguely remembers it all and doesn't think about it as it was so long ago. Nina told her that something bad had happened and Madison basically brushed her off and she even states if you have a reputation of sleeping around then people won't believe you when you say something happened it's crying wolf when you get that drama when you get that drunk excuse me when you get that drunk things happen and she even goes on to say don't get blackout drunk all the time and then expect people to be on your side when you have sex with somebody you don't want to and you're crying wolf and Clearly, Cassie is visibly upset hearing that Madison hasn't changed her mind. And she even says, you know, after all this time, I th- I thought that, you know, I would, I would hope that you would feel differently. And um, I think Madison just looks at her kind of surprised, like, why would you think my feelings would change after all this time? So by now, Madison is drunk and Cassie says her goodbyes and she walks off. She approaches a man and says, she's over there, room 25, your money's in the envelope. He replies to her, are you sure about this? And Cassie says, I'm sure, and walks off. Now, Madison calls Casey later, 14 times that we can see on the on the phone, with questions about what happened at lunch the day before, worried that she slept with a man from the bar, though her memory is foggy. And I actually really love this scene. I love that the way that Cassie is is playing her revenge is I want you to be in the same exact situation that this person was in that you chastised for. And how would you react to it? You know, you did the same thing. You went out with somebody that you knew that you were super comfortable with and you of your own free will drink a lot you drank very heavily because you were comfortable and you trusted the person that you were with and that person that you trusted turned around and did something not so good to you so i i actually enjoyed that madison was freaking out a bit and thinking that she did something because it's like hmm are you able to put two and two together and figure out that that's probably how you made nina feel in her time of need you guys are close friends and you literally shut your friend down and decided to be a quote-unquote guy's girl and join that club and just to double back on that on that term guy's girl i think some females think that the term guy's girl is a good thing and in my opinion as a woman is not a good thing i see a guy's girl as a guy that will advocate for men no matter what it's as if it's she she has this like innate need to always defend a man whether he is right or wrong and that is kind of scary you know if you're in a situation and your friend comes to you and they tell you something let's say they feel they say they feel uncomfortable about someone or something or they 
they confide in you to tell you that something happened with someone. It's not your job right then and there to say that they are right or wrong. It's your job right then to just listen to them. And the issue with the guy's girl is they may put that girl at comfort or ease and then turn around and defend that man or let him know like, oh, I know she's lying because you would never do that. And and that's another popular phrase. He would never do that. Oh, I know him like that. He's not the kind of guy. You never know what someone will do in a situation. And you have to give people, yes, the benefit of the doubt, but you also need to look at and pay attention to all the evidence that's in front of you as well. You know, so I think Madison learned a lesson, which would have, which was, you know, I should have been there for my friend at that moment and her time in need. And in my opinion, looking at how the scene plays out in that moment, even when she asked her, like, do you remember why we left school? I think she does know and she has some sort of remorse for it, but not enough to speak up about it because she doesn't want it to affect her life and what she's doing. Next up on the chopping block is Dean Elizabeth Walker, the medical school dean who dismissed Nina's case due to lack of evidence. So I love Casey's plan for this. She pretends to be a makeup artist for a band that the dean's daughter, her teen daughter, is really into and adores and tricks her daughter into getting in the car, which I was like, girl, you're like 14 or 16 years old. Like, is it this easy to get you in a car? But whatever, um, I understand how they're playing that out because as a young girl, if a woman approaches you, your sense of stranger danger is lowered tremendously versus if it was a man of the same age or even a little bit younger. So I do like how they played into that because Cassie was so just relaxed and calm and it wasn't, you know, aggressive how she got the girl into the car. It was very, very easy. So, um... Cassie then cuts to then it cuts to a scene where Cassie is meeting with Dean Walker under the pretense of her resuming her studies. And she ends up actually questioning her about the events that led to Nina's dropout and her ultimate death. And the Dean just basically explains away her actions. So later Cassie arranges the meeting with the Dean under the pretense that she's going to return to the university to finish her studies, saying that she left after what happened to Nina Fisher whom the dean apparently doesn't remember, which is funny. Everybody just keeps forgetting who Nina Fisher is, except for Cassie. But she does remember Alexander Monroe. She says that he was just at the school recently to give a speech. And then Cassie asks if she remembers the accusations against him. Against him. And again, the dean says no. Cassie tells her that Al took Nina to his room and had sex with her repeatedly and in front of his friends while she was too drunk to have any idea to what was going on. The dean asks if it was reported and who did she report it to. Cassie replies, yes, it was. And it was to you, dean. And the dean at the time of the accidents, excuse me, incident said that there was insufficient evidence. Too much he say, she say. And that they get at least one to two accusations a week. And states that maybe Nina made herself, um, you know, at a disadvantage by drinking, which Cassie obviously did not like the Dean saying that. And so she said, what would you have me do? Ruin a young man's life every time we get an accusation like this? And she has to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Innocent until proven guilty. And Cassie lets the dean know that three hours prior to their meeting, she picked up her daughter, Amber, and introduced her to the boys 
who now live in Al Monroe's old dorm room. The dean calls her daughter and Cassie reveals that she has her daughter's phone in her pocket. The dean's upset now, asking Cassie, what is she doing? She's a young girl. And she finally breaks down and tells Cassie that she is right. Cassie says, I guess it feels differently when it's someone you love. Cassie tells the dean that none of what she said is true and that her daughter is actually waiting for her at a at a diner uh, expecting to meet her favorite boy band. Now, meanwhile, while Cassie's going through this revenge plans of her, plan of hers, she's still talking and dating Ryan. And things start, are going off well with him. They're going on a lot of dates. So it's like a montage, these cute little dates and nice little moments. He meets her family and they have dinner. And you can see the parents that they're happy that their daughter is finally returning to normal because she's been in this dark cloud ever since her friend has passed. And her father even tells her at dinner, you know, you know, Nina was like a daughter to us and we miss her terribly, but God, Cassie, how we missed you. And I thought it was such a beautiful moment uh, between the father and the daughter. And, you know, I, I see what, 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 what Cassie has lost. She lost her friend, but, you know, in the process of her losing her friend and ultimately kind of losing herself in that tragic loss, she just stopped caring about everything else, including herself. She doesn't care about her well-being. She doesn't care about her safety. And, you know, eventually at the end, we see that she doesn't really care about her morality either. What I liked about the scene with uh, Alfred Alfred Molina's character is that the lawyer actually had remorse for his actions, knowing he did wrong after how many years um, I love that he actually took accountability and was one of the only people who truly admitted the the role that he played in the situation and was fully willing to accept whatever punishment he was going to get. He told Cassie that he was no longer practicing law and that he's been waiting for this day of reckoning. He also has his addresses available to the public for any jur- uh, justification that anybody is seeking if they think there was a wrongful conviction or that he said something out of line. So I love that he reached a point in his life where he realized I have caused so much hurt by lying and scheming and doing very dirty deeds to win cases because that's all I cared about. People deserve justice, if, if, whether it's a conversation or worse, and I'm prepared for those ramifications. And he admitted that he threatened and bullied Nina until she dropped her case. And he asked Cassie if she was even there to hurt him and that uh, he was on a sabbatical due to his psychotic episode. And he, like like I said, he goes on a rant of greedy, dirty deeds that he did. He said that he got a bonus for every settlement that uh, he got out of court. Uh, that they had a guy, they uh, had a guy that for every charge dropped, they got more money. Um, that he combed through people's social media pages, exes, their friends, and calling them, and he begged Cassie for some kind of punishment, and that she sh- and he pleaded for him, for her to forgive him, and she did. And I think that's Cassie's whole point is she just wants people to admit what they have done. If you look at her actions of of uh retaliation, she's not actually hurting anyone. You know, and uh I want to stress that of a woman's revenge. I feel like there's some of it's played up in cinema of what a woman would do, but 
when when you actually see it on screen and you think about it, this woman's not actually physically hurting anyone or putting anyone in any real danger. She just wants people to see if you were in that situation, what would you do? If that was your daughter or your sister or mother, auntie, what would you do in that situation? How would you handle it? And how would your feelings change for that person versus someone that you don't know? Uh, Cassie goes to visit Nina's mother, who's played by Molly Shannon, and they reminisce from years past. She tells Cassie that she needs to stop and let it go, that she can't fix it, and to stop being a child. Cassie cries and says that she's sorry that she didn't go with Nina. And Molly Shannon's character is understanding of that, but, you know, she's moved on from it. She understands what has happened and she's coping with it in her own way. And she would just really appreciate if Cassie could find her own way to cope with it as has been, as Nina has passed now for quite a few years. One day, Cassie comes home to find Madison waiting outside of her house, and she wants to talk about what happened at lunch, and Cassie assures her that nothing happened. Madison tells Casey that something she has something to show her, and they go inside the house. Madison found an old cell phone of hers that has a video from the incident of that night with Nina. The video got passed around to everyone on campus. She hands the phone over to Cassie and states that she doesn't know how they could have watched those videos and thought it was funny. As she leaves, she tells Cassie to never contact her again. Cassie watches the videos and recognizes one of the bystanders as Ryan. She is shocked and horrified. She comes up to his job and shows him the video. He repeatedly says he does remember and that he was a kid. She threatens to send the videos to his entire contact and clientele list if he doesn't tell her where Al Monroe's bachelor party is. He writes down the address and gives it to her. He tells her he loves her and that he wants her to forgive him. She says no. He says he didn't do anything and that if she releases that video that they'll both be they both will be doctors and he calls her a failure. Cassie leaves out the door. Now, the line of we were so young is said two or three times in this film or or even more. And I love Cassie's response to it, her facial response to hearing that line and when she verbally says that line. And it's, you know, you, you being 21 is not a kid. You know, you could be 40 and call someone who's 21 a kid. But when you're 21, you're legally an adult, right? You're legally an adult when you're the age of 18. So why are we not holding these adults responsible for what they have done, these crimes that they have done? You know, Al Monroe is a rapist. It is on camera that he raped a girl who was unconscious at a party and for the multiple friends. Why is he getting away scot-free and nothing's on his record? That is not fair, you know? Why did Ryan watch and do nothing? And on the video, we could hear Ryan saying, don't put my, don't show my face, don't show my face because he's thinking of his future and doesn't want to be implicated in anything like this. Madison, the quote unquote guy's girl who stand, who sees a video and instead of helping her friend, she decides to laugh at it, to be a part of the group because she still separates herself from, you know, quote unquote, girls like Nina. And it's sad and it's disgusting. And to make it worse too, Ryan's a child doctor. So it's just like, how do you think your clients are going to feel that you at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 
were at a party watching a young girl getting raped and said and did nothing you know it doesn't matter what you're doing now it it does matter what you're doing now partly but you need to own up about your past you can't you shouldn't blatantly lie about something when there's clear evidence that you were there and you did witness it and you said nothing because you didn't want to be shunned from your guy group dress as a candy striper stripper (laughs) cassie infiltrates a bachelor party at the alban row she parks her car a little bit far from the cabin and walks all the way up the drive she says that she's a stripper though none of the guys know who orders a stripper and she comes in and she pours liquor down all the guys uh are the party goers mouths she takes al upstairs and handcuffs him to the bedpost he asks her to not do anything as he loves his fiance and he asks her real name and she states it's nina fisher Immediately, he starts freaking out and he calls out for his friends who can't hear them because they are passed out downstairs from all the drinking that they've been doing. Now, all Cass really wants is Al to admit what he did. He says that they were kids and that Nina was into it. He bribes Cassie with money to let it go. He starts crying, saying it's every man's nightmare to get accused of something like that. And she replies with, can you imagine what every girl's worst nightmare is? And he keeps struggling to break free from his restraints, which are just some pink fuzzy handcuffs that Cassie applied to a bedpost. While Cassie goes on about her admiration of Nina and how her friend went from this promising young woman to a shell of a human being, Cassie tries to carve Nina's excuse me, Cassie tries to carve Nina's name into Al's skin. While trying to do so, he breaks free of his restraints and fights with Cassie, ultimately smothering her with the pillow, with his knee pressed firmly against her face while he's holding her hand and straddling her body. He screams for her to stop moving, and after a grueling two and a half minutes, Cassie stops struggling, and it comes to an end. In the morning, his friend Joe finds Al in bed with a now-dead Cassie. Joe tells Al that he will fix this. And they burn Cassie's body. And he also tells Al that it's not his fault and that it was an accident and that the story is that she stripped and then she went home. So they walked outside. They burned the body with the evidence along with her car keys. Her parents contact the police reporting Cassie as missing. The detectives question Ryan regarding Cassie and he tells them that they broke up about a week ago. And they told her that they told Ryan that she's been missing since the day they broke up. Now, cuts to July 27th, which is Al's wedding. Cassie's plan is laid out. Now, we are at Al's wedding. Uh, They've already said their vows or just celebrating. And Ryan gets a text. And she uh, also sends a letter with the phone that Madison gave her to the lawyer. The note attached said that in the event of her disappearance, that the lawyer needed to turn the phone over to the police. Ryan received a pre-scheduled text from Cass that says, you didn't think that was the end, did you? It is now. The police arrest Al at his wedding while his friend Joe runs off. Um, Cassie wore half of the heart necklace that said Nina and left behind the half that said Cassie for Gail. And that was the end of the film. So let's go ahead and dive into these IMDb fun facts. So there was a small director cameo. We saw Emerald Fennel as the host of the quote-unquote blowjob lips makeup tutorial video that was in it for a brief second. 
Um, the title is a reference to Brock Turner, who was a Stanford University student who was convicted of sexual assault in 2016. Despite his conviction, he was referred to by some as a quote-unquote promising young man. Emerald Fennell stated in an interview that she had asked her father-in-law, who is a retired police officer, how long it would take to smother someone. He told her 2.5 minutes. So, Emerald and Carrie shot the final smothering scene, which lasted 2.5 minutes. Carrie Mulligan did not use a stunt double in that scene either. I saw this film in theaters. I actually saw it the day it came out. And overall, I found it extremely enjoyable. I liked the way it was written, the way it was directed. I think the actors did a very good job of making their roles believable. Um, I look forward to seeing more work from this director. I think she did a, a great job at, at uh, portraying the story. I did like that they didn't use the words sexual assault or rape in the film. And they found creative ways to say it without saying it as the, even those words alone have trigger warnings for people. And I think that this film is can be digestible by most audiences and maybe for people who don't believe in the Me Too movement, that the way that this story is portrayed, maybe they can it will change your mind a little bit or at least have them think about, you know, what if they they were in that person's situation or what if that person was someone that they cared about. Would that sway what they're saying about about this person? Because I'm sure that we've all had conversations or overheard conversations about this, about a girl that went to a party and got drunk and she was so belligerently drunk that she quote unquote hooked up with someone. But in reality, that's not what happened. And I want to stress that no one should be sexually assaulted or raped or taken advantage of or have sex without their knowledge if they don't want it, if they're not consenting to it. And I think this film did a good job of helping some men that may not have known that certain actions make them um, a predator. You know, like even the scene where Cass is in the bar and she's clearly drunk and Adam Brody's character goes over and he's playing the quote-unquote nice guy and helping her, but in reality he has different intentions, you know, and um, I just liked how that how that came out. So I definitely think that this film is it is definitely a good is it definitely a good watch. I personally gave it a nine out of ten on IMDb. I saw it had a seven point five out of ten, which is still I think a good score, a medium score of seven or or, or six for most people. So if you can, I definitely think that you should watch Promising Young Woman. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Pineapple Rails. On the next episode, I'll be tackling Malcolm and Marie as well as Judas and the Black Messiah. Stay tuned.